How's everybody doing today? My name is Pastor Joshua, and uh, I'm very excited to be back home. I so enjoyed uh, last weekend. We have uh, wonderful cousins and brothers and sisters in arms uh, in Harrisburg. Uh, we have a wonderful relationship with so many different churches. Uh, but one of those churches that we love and appreciate is Life Bible in Harrisburg. And so we have a unique uh, history with them. One, we have some elders that used to attend at Christ Center that are now a part of Life Bible, which is awesome. We have lots of friends and, and uh, just a great testimony of God's dreams and desires <laughs> over, I'm going to just move forward a little bit. Um, over this valley. And so um, I don't know if many of everybody knows this, but uh, we actually, at the time that their property uh, that they now um, have built their new facility on, Riverbend Resort, um, was being commissioned. It was built as an RV resort and hotel when uh, the economy was doing pretty good and when Junction City was still an RV industry destination spot. And, um, and so a dear brother of ours um, actually pulled together several investors, and they, they created this lovely resort called Riverbend. And myself and uh, several of the elders and a couple of the pastors, we went out because uh, Chris Erickson, who attended Christ Center at the time, uh, asked us if we'd come pray and commission that property to the Lord. And so we go out to commission the property to the Lord, which is awesome because I love the kingdom, and I love the different spheres of the kingdom that we get to release blessing in. And one of those spheres of the kingdom is business. So anytime I get to go and be a part of blessing the marketplace, I'm excited. So we went out to commission this property to the Lord as an RV um, destination spot, a hotel and, and, a, and a resort. And so when we got out there, uh, we began to pray over that land. And the Lord just began to show me some of the things that were going to happen on that land. And, and he said, there's going to be creative miracles that happen here. And I, and I just spoke it out because, you know, I was just hearing and, and reporting. So it's not hard to, to do that. So I said, there's going to be creative miracles here. And, uh, and vision is going to be released here. And there's going to be lots of angelic activity here. People are going to see angels. They're going to encounter uh, the work of God. They're going to be. Um, they're going to have their vision increase, and it's going to be released out of this place. And I thought to myself, like, "Wow, Josh, you're uh, you're pretty excited about this, man. Like, Lord, am I making this up? This is an amazing hotel." And. Um, and so that's, a, that's, a pretty, that's some pretty interesting and specific things to happen, which, praise God, those things do actually happen in businesses. There's no problem there. But I remember just thinking, like, wow, those are some big words for a hotel. So fast forward, unfortunately, as you all know, because you went through it with us, the, uh, the economy took a little bit of a hit. And, uh, and, you know, at that time, Country Coach closed down and Safari moved and Monaco moved and Marathon had a hard time and gas prices went up and we were all there. You guys were there. You remember that, don't you? And so at any rate, having an RV resort when nobody can afford to put gas in is not an awesome thing. So unfortunately, that business, yeah, thang, that's what I just said, isn't it? Anyway, unfortunately, that business did not, uh, it didn't go the way that they had hoped. And so we fast forward to where we are now. Life Bible Church was able to purchase the, uh, the resort at a, at a really wonderful price for them. And, um, and now that is where they have their church and conference center. So we've been in relationship with Brad and Jen, the pastors there, for quite some time. And so they had asked us, will you come for our grand opening and bless us 
And will you share that word that God gave you? So we, so Red and I went, and uh, and Karen and and uh, Levita, and so we got to go and bless Life Bible. And it was neat because we have lots of friends that were there. In fact, we uh, we went and checked out Life Bible, Karen and I, before we attended Christ Center uh, a little over ten years ago, and we loved it, um, but we just wasn't home. And uh, turns out we belonged here, so I'm kind of glad that worked out. Hey, it's back! <laughs> Praise God. Um, yeah, we just got to keep them down just a little bit, and then they won't kick that little breaker there. Um, so it was just very cool to get to go and bless fellow workers in the gospel and to see what God's doing. So that's why we weren't here last week. But what I'd like to do right now as we get ready to go into the sermon is I would like to include you in prayer for the ongoing work that God is doing in Harrisburg and the surrounding area. Brad and Jen are amazing pastors, and I love them, and they're dear friends of mine. And we all have dear friends uh, that attend all kinds of different churches. And one of the things that's so vital for us to do is to remember that there is one church, but there are many tribes in that church. There's one family, but there's many tribes in that family. So can we bless our, our, our uh, brother tribe or sister tribe um, right now? I'd like you to just reach your hands out there right across the river. So we'll just pray over them right now. Father, I pray your continued blessing over Life Bible. God, I thank you for Brad and Jen and Elton and his wife, God, and the whole team that's out there. Father, I thank you for the work that they're doing in Harrisburg. I thank you, Lord, for their desire to bless your kingdom and their willingness, God, to be kingdom-minded, Lord, that they're not just building a little church with a little uh, gathering vision, but rather they want to enrich the church of Willamette Valley in what they do. God, we thank you that we get to co-labor with them. We pray your protection, your blessing, your provision, and your peace. And we say, Lord, let every dream you have over that tribe God, let that be what they get. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you guys for helping me to bless our brothers and sisters, and it is good to be home. Well, listen, as I shared, we are going through the story, the grand story of God with man, and last week we got to talk about creation. Pastor Jason covered that. This week we're going to talk about how God begins to build a nation. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start with an amazing um, a uh, little presentation. I'm going to let it speak for itself. Um, some dear brothers out of Portland put this together, so uh, why don't we kick this off? We're walking through the book of Genesis, which is made up of these two main parts. And the first part begins in the garden. We're walking through the book of Genesis, which is made up of these two main parts. And the first part begins in the garden, where we watch humanity spiral downward in self-destruction, and it ends in the Tower of Babel, where a rebellious humanity is scattered by God. Then the second part of Genesis zooms in and focuses on just one family. And right in the middle is this story that links the two parts of Genesis together and helps us understand what the whole book is all about. So how do we get from the Tower of Babel to the story here in the middle? Well, after the scattering at Babel, there's this genealogy, and it follows one of the tribes all the way down to this one guy named Abram. You probably know him as Abraham. And God starts making all these promises to Abraham, like he's going to bless him and give him a ton of kids. And he says that through him and his family, all the nations of the earth are now going to find God's blessing. So basically, God is trying to restore humanity back to the goodness of the garden, and to his original intentions for the world. So it's like his rescue plan for humanity. And that's why the whole second half of Genesis is about this one family. And so you have, you have Abraham, and then he has a son, Isaac, 
who has Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons. And to each generation, God renews his promise to bless them and all nations through them. So because of this promise to use this family to rescue the world, it's pretty easy to read these stories as examples of how to be a good person. But actually, for the most part, this family is totally dysfunctional. So for example, let's go back to Abraham. This whole story is about God giving him and his wife Sarah a family, but two different times. He basically gives Sarah away to other men by denying that she's even his wife. And then Sarah gets impatient about having a son, and so she makes Abraham sleep with her servant girl, which then causes all of these other problems in the family. So they get really old, and you begin to think that there's no way they're going to have a kid of their own. But then, miraculously, they do. It's Isaac. And Isaac, he has two sons, Esau and Jacob, and it seems like things are going pretty good. But Jacob... The younger brother wants the family's inheritance, which belongs to Esau, the older brother. So he devises a plan where he's going to steal it from his father, Isaac, who at this point in the story is now old and blind. Which who does that horrible stealing from your blind father? Yeah, and then he just takes off. (laughs) So Jacob goes on from there to have 12 sons, big family. But Jacob loves his 11th son, Joseph, way more than all the others. And so he gives him the special technicolor dream coat and his brothers because of this come to hate him so much so that they plan on killing him but they don't they instead just sell him as a slave down in egypt now while in egypt through this crazy series of events joseph goes from being in a prison cell to becoming the second in command there and so later on the the whole middle east falls into this food shortage and joseph's brothers they come down to egypt looking for food and then when they get there Who should they find as the ruler of the whole land? It's Joseph, that guy they sold into slavery. But he actually saves them from starving to death. And so here you have it. These are the great-grandchildren of Abraham who have done this heinous act to their brother. But God has transformed their evil into something good. And that's exactly what Joseph says here in the last paragraph of the entire book. He says, you guys planned all of this for evil, but God planned it for good, to save people's lives. Now, these words, they conclude the book because they actually summarize the message of the whole story so far. Humans keep choosing evil, and we are thinking they're, they're screwing up God's plan, but he keeps turning their evil back into good. And somehow, he's going to use this family to restore humanity back to the garden. So that's the book of Genesis. But we still don't know how exactly he's going to use this family to bring us back to the garden. Well, yeah, but this is just the first book. So that's what the rest of the Bible sets out to answer. Isn't that great? I love these guys. All right. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to focus on Abraham. And we're familiar, I think, most of us with these stories. And, uh, and for those of you that are following through um, and reading um, through the story or reading the, the scriptures that we're laying out, and I believe, are those on the information counter, the reading schedule? 
Um, if not, you can get one from me here at the back, and you can follow through uh, with the selected readings in the Bible. The story itself um, is, is an abridged version of the Bible told in, um, in sequential order of how the things have happened. So this book, the story that we're reading through, is actually, um, it's not a paraphrase of the Bible. It is the words of the Bible written exactly as they are. It's just rather than being laid out as the law, the prophets, etc., um, it's laid out in a sequential order. So if you were concerned, like, what Bible are you reading from? Uh, it is from the Word. It's just laid out in a beautiful storybook fashion. So I encourage you to get that if you'd like to. It's a lot of fun. But right now, today, what I want to talk about is this man, Abram, and his wife, Sarah. I'm going to start with uh, Genesis 12, uh, 1 through 3. Now, the Lord God had said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. There's some key components here. Number one, Abram, I chose you, and I'm giving you a directive. I want you to get out of the house of your father, and here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to increase you. I'm going to protect you because he says, I will curse those who curse you. How many of you know if God says he's going to curse somebody who curses you, that's probably a pretty good deal? That sounds like protection to me. And then he says, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is an amazing promise from God himself to Abram. So after he gets that promise, Abram does, he does pretty good on that first one. And he goes ahead and he goes to Canaan. So he leaves his mother and father's house. He leaves the culture that he's been in. He believes God. So he's kind of the first picture of, of, of what we do now. We're born again. We leave our mother and father. We leave the genealogy that we've come from. We step into Christ. So there's some incredible parallels of what happens with Abraham and what happens in our lives. And I want to draw our attention to some of those as we walk through this. But uh, for the sake of time, I'm going I'm to continue on here. So the Lord appears to Abram and he says, To your descendants I will give this land. And there, will be built, and, there, and there Abram built an altar to the Lord where he had appeared to him. So God immediately, Abram gets a promise from God. Abram obeys God according to that promise. He goes, God, okay, I believe you. Leaves his land, ends up in another land, goes where he was supposed to, to Canaan. And as soon as he gets to Canaan, here's the beauty of it, God encourages Abram again. He says, Abram, that thing I just told you about eight minutes ago before you moved out here to Canaan, it's still true. Good job. I'm going to bless you. And Abram did something that I encourage all of us to do. He built something. He made something to remind him of the promise of God. He built an altar in that place to remind himself that this is where God made him that promise. So there's that promise again. And then circumstances start to happen. How many of you guys are alive? All right, that's good, that's good. How many of you know what I'm talking about with circumstances? Come on, we had the promise, now here comes the circumstances. So the first thing that happens is a famine comes on the land. We were just talking about a famine of sorts. It was a recession, I wouldn't call it a famine, but we all lived through that a few years ago. And now things are starting to pick up a little bit. And you know what, probably in our life, we'll probably have the opportunity to live through another recession at some point. Stuff happens, doesn't it? So circumstances come and immediately test the word that Abram was just given. 
And the first circumstance that comes is famine. And God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. And then life comes and says, you're going to starve to death out in a field alone with nowhere near your family. So Abram decides, well, that doesn't sound very awesome. So he moves to Egypt. And then he asks his wife to tell Pharaoh that she's his sister, which she was actually his sister. She was a half-sister. This was far back enough that this was before we had uh, mutated enough in time. You could still marry a half-sister at that time. How many of you know Adam and Eve had kids and they married each other? I know, right? But they were pretty close to their original creation, so you didn't have all the weird genealogical nonsense that would happen now. And later on in the Bible, as we go through, you'll see that God changed the ability to do that anymore, and you can't marry your first cousins even anymore. you got to start knocking that off. <laughs> so at any rate, she is his half-sister. She's his father's daughter, but not his mother's daughter. So, um, so he did marry her. She was very, very beautiful. And so he tells Pharaoh, he says to his wife, hey, baby, I, you are gorgeous. You're drop-dead gorgeous. She's like, what do you want? And he says, I want you to tell everybody that you're my sister because I'm scared that they'll kill me and take you from me. So I'm just going to give you to Pharaoh. Horrible strategy. So this is a bad strategy. Well, luckily... Um, so Abram's wife lives in Pharaoh's house for quite a while. And in the time, like long enough to get rich, Abram's wife, Sarah, is living in Pharaoh's house long enough for Abram and Lot to get rich. Praise Jesus. God then takes a look at this and goes, this is a stupid idea, Abram. This is a stupid strategy. And so what does God do? He removes the promise from Abram and says, you know what, you're an idiot. I'm going to go find somebody better. No, no, he does not. What he does is he comes and he intervenes and keeps his original promise to Abram. Because the promise was from God. The promise was not based on Abram's perfect track record. So immediately God comes in and he says, uh, he goes to Abram and he says, oh, I'm sorry. He goes and starts plaguing Pharaoh. And Pharaoh starts noticing things are not working well, something to do with the botch and the itch and all other kinds of things. And so he, he starts realizing something is not happening well. What is happening? So he seeks God, and God says, this woman that you have in your house is Abraham's wife, and I like Abraham, and you need to stop it. So Pharaoh calls to Abraham, and he says, what did you do to me? Why would you set me up like that? And he says, look, take your stuff and get out of here. Clearly, your God is not happy with your strategy. And we know the story. You guys have, how many of you have been reading along with this um, as we were going? Are you enjoying it, all four of you? The rest of you will really enjoy it. For the four of you that are reading right now, it's awesome, isn't it? Yes, it is. All right. Very good. Oh, gee, I'm just going to pray right now. Lord, so remind your people to read the word. They're your people, Lord. I'm not saying give them plagues like Pharaoh. Lord, I'm not saying that. But I'm asking you to intervene. See how I did that? That was a little manipulative, I admit. All right, so what happens? God intervenes even though Abram, just in light of that promise, goes in and pulls this doofus scheme, gets, gives his wife to someone else so that he can get rich and that they won't kill him. This is Abram's strategy to see God's promise fulfilled. How many of you suddenly feel a little better about some of your cockamamie strategies? At least we could say, I didn't give my wife away, so that's good. I didn't do that. And so... You can take some encouragement from that, but not a lot. 
So Abram and Lot, they leave there, which we've just seen in the story, they leave there rich now. And what happens again? More circumstances happen. Life continues. The promise is still there. God intervened, and life continues. Circumstances come to test that word, that promise of God. Will this really happen? Is this really going to happen? And so then Lot and, and Abram's, all of their, they were sheep herders. They were um, uh, caring for the different flocks. And this was, a, this was an agrarian society. This was a shepherding society. And so they're out there in the, in the, uh, <laughs> the wild. And they're too rich. That's a good problem to have. I like problems of success. They're too rich and the land can't support both of them. And so what happens? They start fighting. So Abram, you guys know the story, I think. But Abram says to his nephew, Lot, look, let's not be fighting with each other. We're both rich. You pick whatever land you want, and I'll go the opposite direction. So he does. And Lot picks the best parts of the land. So this was Abram doing a good job again, being the, being the guy that God loved. He says, hey, look, you know what? God's going to take care of me. Don't worry about it. You pick the best land. I'll just go the opposite direction. So Lot does. Abraham, he, he heads off on his own, and God continues to bless him. The very next thing that happens is God comes in as soon as Abram parts company with Lot. He does a good thing. God comes back again, and you know what he does? He reminds Abram of his blessing and promise. And I love this. It says, And the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes up now. Look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I'm going to give it to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. And then he tells him, hey, walk around, you know, check the place out. It, it all belongs to you. And so Abram walks around, he enjoys it. I'm not sure what they talked about, but he checked out that land. So then, right after that really encouraging word, what happens? Life happens again. Lot and the, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and a couple other kings, they get in a fight. Some stronger guys come in. They carry everybody off, and they take his nephew Lot and all of Lot's possessions and, and, and servants and everything with them. And so Abram, being a good man, and Abram's doing a good job again. He's being the man that we love and respect, and he goes and he rescues. He rescues his nephew, which is awesome. So are you seeing a pattern here? Promise, circumstances. Promise, circumstances. And, and in this moment, Abram doesn't always do the right thing in the circumstances, does he? He doesn't. All right, so you guys are with me so far. So as soon as Abram goes and takes Lot back, and he, he does a great job, he grabs his servants, and they go, and they have an awesome rescue mission. They get Lot and all of his belongings and everything, and all the other king's belongings, and they, and they, and they totally defeat the enemies. And then he comes back, and here we love this. It says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high, and he blessed him. And he said, listen to this blessing. Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abram gave, uh, gave the priest a tenth, the tithe. This is the first time we see the tithe, the tenth to the priest. So God encourages Abram again. So circumstances, Abram responds in one way or another. God comes in and says, look, I'm going to bless you again. So God reminds Abram of the blessing and the promises. So then, after that happened, I love this again now, Abram just won a big battle. How many of you have ever won a big battle in life? Yeah, how many of you remember the Monday after winning that big battle in life? <laughs> it is the worst, isn't it? You're just like, did that really work? Maybe I just got lucky. Maybe, maybe that was just a fluke. Oh my gosh, I am going to die. I am going to die. They're going to come back and they're going to kill me, right? 
But God knows this. I love this. Immediately after this big battle, God comes and he gives them, he reminds Abram of the blessing and the promise. He says to him, he comes to him in a vision. He says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Have you noticed with Abram that his core issue is fear? Abram is so afraid that he's going to be killed, that he's willing to let his wife live in another man's house because he's scared that he's going to be killed. But then he has these beautiful moments, and he goes and he rescues Lot, and he does the right thing, but then God knows Abram, and I love it. God knows Abram's worst fear, and he comes in, and he speaks to the worst fear, and he says, Abram, don't worry. Don't be afraid. I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. So God knows Abram's heart. He knows what Abram needs. He's the one that gave Abram that promise. So Abram says, okay, well then, Lord, what will you give me seeing I go childless? And the heir of, wait a minute, wait a minute, I went too far. Hang on. Remember the blessing? Nope, we're doing good. Okay, there's kind of a theme, so, you know, you could lose your space. All right. So Abram says, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. This is a servant in his house. So he says, I'm gonna, uh, he's going to be my heir. But God says this to him in the bottom here. He says, behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, the one, this one will not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body will be your heir. So God speaks to the circumstances, the very real circumstances of Abram with another promise and another blessing. He says, listen, these circumstances, they're not going to determine the outcome. My promise and my blessing is going to determine the outcome in your life. Are you catching that? It's a very real circumstance, isn't it? Abraham, Abram is a real person. And he's going through life the same way that we're going through life. And he has circumstances that are very real and desires of his heart that are very real and fears that are very real. And our father, who's very real, speaks to those things. And he says, Abram, what you need for this circumstance, what you need for this situation is my blessing and my promise. And so he gives it to him. He gives him that so that Abram then knows what direction to go. So then God takes him outside, and what does he do? He makes a covenant with him, and listen to this covenant. He says, look now towards heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. If you're able to number them, and he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. This is the point where Abram's now beginning to be seen as the father of faith. And what was it that Abram did that made him such a stud? He believed God. Because as we see in his life, he really didn't make every good decision, did he? And, and, and you know, I was reading through this account, and, and I've, I've read through this account as a younger man, and I'll be honest with you, I was a lot more arrogant about reading this account. But the older that I am the more that I'm so glad that God put this whole account into the Bible. Because the longer that I'm alive, the longer that I see myself in Abram. The more that I see, wow, those were some pretty intense circumstances that my man Abram was going through. This is a very real situation that he's gone through. And here's the part that I really love, is to see the consistent 
kindness and care that God brings to Abram. He keeps coming back and meeting Abram right where he is, right in the middle of very real circumstances. And then he speaks right to the, to the heart of the issue, the fear that's in Abram's heart. Abram doesn't have kids. And God keeps showing up and saying, Abram, look at the sand. How much is there? That's how many kids you're going to have. Abram, look at the stars. How many are there? That's how many kids you're going to have. Abram, you're scared? I'm your shield. Abram, you're worried that you don't have a future? I'm your future. Abram, you left your mother and father. You're worried that you're not significant? I'm telling you all of the nations and the earth will be blessed through you. Every time Abram is faced with the circumstances of life, God comes and reminds him of the promise and the blessing. And then he expounds on it a little bit more. It's not a new promise and a new blessing. Have you noticed it's not a new promise and a new blessing each time? It's always the same promise and the same blessing. How many of you are starting to get a little encouraged? Y'all seem kind of quiet today. Are we doing all right? All right, so he says this to him. And then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of your of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit. And he said, Lord God, how will I know that I will inherit it? So at this point, he's saying, God, I want you to show me that this is actually going to happen. So God said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then he brought all these to him, and he cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he didn't cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. And they will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. And afterward they will come out with great possessions. Now as for you, now listen to this part. As for you, Abram, you will go to your fathers in peace. He said the word peace. And he says, and you'll be buried at a good old age. That means good and old. I just want to bring your memory back to this. God keeps speaking to Abram's worst fears. Okay, he keeps saying, Abram, the thing you're scared of, I'm telling you that's not what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to die in peace and an old age. Your circumstances keep saying something else, and I keep saying, here's my promise and here's my blessing. All right, let me continue. He says, but in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your descendants, I have given this land. So God makes this covenant with Abram. I want to talk to you about this covenant. I just am going to take a moment to explain this covenant to you. In the, in the, in the, in the Middle East, in this time, in this place, the covenant between two people was vital. There were different kinds of covenant. This was a specific covenant. When you cut the animals in two, as God instructed him to do, you took the animals and you put one half here and one half here. So the animal is literally torn to pieces. It's torn in two pieces specifically. 
And then if, you, and there were a couple different ways that you would make a covenant. If you had two peers that made a covenant, then both of them would walk between the pieces of the animals, signifying that if I break the terms of this covenant, so be it unto me as it is to these animals. May I be torn to pieces for violating that covenant. And that's what that meant. And so if you had two peers, they would both walk through. So, so Terry and I are making a covenant, and he walks through, and I say, okay, you violate your covenant, then may you be torn to pieces. And he says, I agree. And then I walk through, and I say, if I violate the covenant, then may I be torn to pieces. And he says, I agree. And so therefore, neither of us will break that covenant. But what's interesting about this covenant that God makes with Abram, well, let me explain a little, yet again, one more thing. If you have a greater person and a lesser person, that are making a covenant, the greater person doesn't go between the pieces. They already have all the power. So if I were a peasant, and Terry, who is my prop today, and a handsome one at that, um, is the greater person, and I come, and let's say he's a, he's, a, he's a lord of the land, and I'm a peasant, and I want to make a covenant with him, then I might come and say, can I use some of your land, and I will give you a tenth, of all of the livestock that I raise on it at the end of each year. And I won't steal any of your livestock. And if I violate this covenant, if I don't give you a tent, then may it be unto me as it is to these animals. May I be torn in pieces. And Terry would go, okay, that sounds like a good deal. Go ahead. And I would walk between the covenant. But since he's greater, he doesn't walk between. So that's another kind of a covenant. So God is making a covenant with Abram. And it says that when it was dark, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On that same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land. Now, the promise that God gave Abram again and again and again is that through you, all nations will be blessed. And through your seed, all of the earth will be blessed. I will make you a great nation and through you all the earth will be blessed. And he uses the word seed. Through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. I will protect you. So God's made all these promises to Abram. And then when it's time to make the covenant, God himself walks between the pieces, signifying, Abram, if I do not keep my word to you, so be it unto me that I be torn to pieces because I haven't kept the terms of this covenant. But when he didn't require Abram to pass through the pieces, which he didn't, he was also saying, but Abram, if you don't keep the terms of this covenant, then may I be torn to pieces if I don't keep the terms of this covenant with you. Who was torn to pieces? Jesus. And whose seed did Jesus come through? Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham that day that through you, Abraham, I will bless all nations. And in the areas where you have violated, all of you have violated that covenant, I will be torn to pieces on your behalf because my intention is to bless you and to redeem you with my own blood. And Jesus fulfilled that covenant that God made with Abraham. So after this amazing covenant that Abraham just saw from God, then 
He slept with Hagar and had Ishmael. <laughs> Circumstances. And we laugh, but isn't this us? I mean, isn't this where we find ourselves? He does something amazing. He delivers us from perversities and, 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 and adversaries and addictions and perversions and, and selfishness and, and greed and all those things, diseases and sickness and sin and all of that. And we go, oh, that's so good. Thank you, Hagar. <laughs> so we know the story of Ishmael, and I don't have time to tell that. But we know that God had said, says to Abraham, and he, he continues on, he says this. Uh, it says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram, and he said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. And then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. And no longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. Now this is unique, and I wish I had more time to talk about this, but I'm going to at least say this. God gave Abraham a new name that matched the promise that God gave him. He said, Abraham, you're going to need a new name. You're going to need to stop looking at your circumstances and allowing your name to come from your circumstances, you're going to need to believe me and let me give you a new name that matches my blessing and my promise. For all of us that have come into the kingdom, we used to be known as an orphan. We used to be known as a sinner. We used to be known as a fool. We used to be known as an addict. Whatever it is. But now... We're known as a son. Now we're known as a daughter. Now we're known as a saint. Now we're known as the called out ones of God. You got to embrace your new name. Old things have passed away and new things have come. You don't go by the old nicknames of your circumstances, past or present. You go by the name that God calls you. And he calls you his child. And he calls you holy. And he calls you a saint. And so Abram becomes Abraham. And then God said to Abraham, As for Sari, your wife, you will not call her name Sari, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. And then I will bless her and she will be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will be from her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And he said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Ah, oh, that Ishmael might live forever. So Abraham gets a new name. It's the same promise that he's had. He's got a covenant where God passed through pieces of animals and said, I will fulfill this covenant. No matter what. And Abraham went, I think I see where you're going with this. You're going to use Ishmael then? Circumstances. <laughs> so he's, he's not quite got it. 
And then God said, no, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Now, I love this. Look at this. <laughs> I can just imagine that, right? Does, is God allowed to have emotions? Because I think he was like, no! Your wife, Sarah. Remember the one I just gave a new name that means mother of children? She's the one that's going to have a son. And you will call his name Isaac, which is laughter, which is beautiful because he's saying, Abraham, you've been barren and scared your whole life. I'm telling you that my promise is going to bring fruitfulness and joy. In fact, your son's name will mean laughter, which is beautiful. But God just loves Abraham. He meets him right where he's at. He meets him right where he's at. He speaks right to his worst fear again. And he says, Abraham, yeah, daddy guy, notice where I'm going with this. Your name now means father of nations. You see what I'm doing there, Abraham? And he encourages him again. He reminds him of what? The blessing and the promise. So Abraham journeyed from there. And I want you to catch this. Abraham's 99 years old when he just got this promise. All right? He's 99 when he got that promise. <laughs> so Abraham journeyed from there to the south, dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, and stayed in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, and it was named Gerar because when Abimelech saw he was like, Gerar. That is not true. <laughs> but Abraham, in light of this covenant... In light of all these promises and in light of his new name that he just got a couple of months ago, told Abimelech the king, she's my sister. <laughs> and Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. This is literally, guys, this is within three months. This is within three months of that word. I'm just saying there's hope for us. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying Abraham's a dingle. I'm saying, oh, God's so good. He's so good. I'm feeling a lot of encouragement right now because I have acted like this dude right here, the father of faith. I see myself in him. Save the giving my wife away part. So God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, indeed, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you've taken, for she is a man's wife which is where we get the term, you're a dead man. <laughs> That's for free. So God intervenes again. He intervenes again. Abram just can't seem to believe the promise. Or if he does, I think at this point he's starting to because he does keep doing the right things. I mean, he, he's doing it, but then he forgets or, or he does what a lot of us do. He tries to manipulate it. This thing is taking forever. I think God must want me to get involved. So the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. So Abimelech, as we know, finds out from God that he's a dead man if he doesn't back off, and he does, and he goes to Abraham. He goes, why didn't you just tell me you're my, or she's your wife? Well, technically she's my sister. Yeah, details. God was going to kill me. You could have just told me. So they leave again. God blesses them again. And then God comes to Sarah and he opens up her womb, and he says to her, you're going to have a child. In the time of children, I'll be back, and you'll have a child by then, which means nine months from now, you'll have a child, which means between the time, okay, well, let me just, let me just say this. 
Okay, so God keeps his promise to Sarah. Now, read this. Now, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Abraham was 99 years old when God came and reminded him, I'm going to give you a son through Sarah. And between the three-month window, Abraham gave his wife away again. Circumstances are seriously testing this word. And here's what's interesting, right? Imagine if Abimelech did be married like with Sarah, we wouldn't even know if Isaac was really Abraham's. Who do you think was attacking this word the whole time? Who do you think was there whispering in Abraham's ears, yeah, you know, I don't know about this God guy. I mean, he only appears now and then, and yeah, so he's a fire pot between some animals, but does that really mean you're going to have a son, oldie? How many of you hear that voice in your ear all the time? Is God really going to come through? Is his promise really true? Does he really still love you? Does he really still, I mean, have you spent time with yourself? This is the accuser speaking. You mess up all the time on purpose. It doesn't even count as calling mess up. You chose it. Isn't he done with you at this point? Is his promise really still going to stand? You just sinned again, and it wasn't a new one. It was a variation on your favorite one. And here's the great news. God comes in and he intervenes. And he intervenes in us, doesn't he? He comes in and he says, my promise and my blessing is upon you. Now come back and be holy because I'm holy. And he doesn't just write you off and go, you are a knucklehead. No, he comes and says, Sarah, he says to a barren woman, Sarah, mother of many nations. He says to a, to a barren, knucklehead, old man, Abraham, father of many nations. He keeps coming back and intervening. Every time Abraham goes to mess it up, God intervenes and fixes it. Now, does that mean that we have license to go do whatever we want because God will just fix it? Well, no. No, we clearly see that there are consequences in this life that we, that we do have to live with. Ishmael and Isaac were enemies. Those tribes are still enemies to this day. And I want to speak to that for just a moment to release some hope. God in his goodness speaks in the word that Ishmael and Isaac will become one new man because of Christ. So that story is not over. And we know, too, that Abraham loved Isaac, even to the point of that after God told him, you'll bear a child through uh, your wife Sarah, and his name will be Isaac, and that's the one I'm going to bless? That's the one Jesus is coming through? Abraham loved Ishmael and said, well, can't it just be Ishmael? And God goes, look, I love Ishmael, too, and I'm going to bless him as well. But I'm bringing my promise the way that I said that I would. I haven't changed my will, I haven't changed my mind, and you're not big enough, and you're not dumb enough to screw up how much I love you. <laughs> and I love it when the Lord talks to me like that. Joshua, you are not big enough, and you're not dumb enough to change the fact that I love you. You can't screw it up. I will forgive you, I will heal you, and I will get you a broom, and we will clean up your mess together. So then God brings Isaac. 
And at the end of it all, we know this story. He has Isaac. Their hearts are filled with joy because the promise of a son is fulfilled. And then God comes and it says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, Here I am. And then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. And the angel of the Lord, okay, so Abram does exactly what God says. Abram takes now Isaac, the fulfillment of the promise of God, takes the promise and the blessing, the tangible son, and at this point, now I want you to catch this, at this point, Abraham, he's got it. He's finally got it. How many of you feel like, man, I am just never going to arrive? Like, I am just never going to get there. I mean, yeah, the rest of you didn't raise your hand because you're like, I'm not even, I don't even care to admit it. I'm past admitting it. No. It's, it's just true, right? We all reach those points where we're just like, when, when am I going to actually be in a place where I just believe God? When am I going to actually be in a place where I can be at peace because I actually trust that he's going to keep his word? When will I actually just rest in what he says and quit trying to work it all out all the time under my own strength? When will I just be in that place? And here Abraham tells us the story that it's possible to get there. Because Abraham takes the promise now. Everything that God said, and Abraham looks back at his history with God, of that every time that God's made a promise, he's kept it. And every time that Abraham's tried to screw it up, God intervened and saved it. And every time that Abraham went back and tried it again, God intervened and reminded him of the promise and the blessing. And then what did he do? Increased it. And so now here it is. And Abraham takes his son, his only son, the promise that God gave him. And God says, I want you to offer him as a, as a burnt offering. And Abraham, in Hebrews it says, Abraham considered in his heart that if God asked him to kill his own son, God would raise him from the dead. Abraham was so convinced of God's goodness and character at this point that he said, okay, you know what, this is crazy. But I know you so well, God, that even though this doesn't make sense, I can only assume, based on how much you've shown me, that you're apparently going to bring this kid back from the dead. Because I've seen your faithfulness in every other area. And I have worked against you our whole life, practically, one way or another, to try to work this out. And you know what, God? I'm ready to trust you. And so what does he do? He takes his son, he puts him on the altar, and he gets ready to kill him. And then we have the account. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! And so he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay a hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns, by its thorns, by its horns, apparently in the thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, which is Jehovah-Jireh. 
As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven, and, and he said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. Abraham got it. Abraham got it. And he got it. Because of the faithfulness of God. He got it because of the promise of God. He got it because of the tenacity and love of God. And at the end of his life, God kept giving it to him until he got it. Are you catching this? This is the God that we serve. This is the grand narrative. This is the story of God with man. Abraham is the father of faith. And the righteous thing that he did was he simply believed God. And Jesus came, and what did he say? All the scriptures speak of me. I am the seed of Abraham. It doesn't say seeds. It doesn't say in your seeds all the nations will be blessed. It doesn't say in all of your kids. He says, no, in your seed, speaking of Christ. And Christ came and said, if you see me, you see the Father. And Christ is the ram that was provided so that all of us can be reconciled to God. I want you to go away today Hopefully with two things. You can pick one of them if you want to, but I'd like to give you two. The first one is this. It's God's love and promise in which is your confidence. It's his promise and his love. And the way that he's dealt with Abraham is the way that he's dealing with you. When you go off the rails, he will intervene and help you. And if you will turn to him, he will restore you and help you to clean the mess up. It's, he's the one that said, I'll be faithful to complete the good work that I began in you. So the pressure is not on you to somehow get it right enough times in a row that you can finally feel good about yourself. Rather, look at this to say, God has chosen me, and he loved me before I even knew him. And if he did this for Abraham, which he did, and Abraham is the father of faith, which he is, and in through him all the nations will be blessed, and I'm part of those nations then this testimony is true of that same God who's made a covenant with me. So your confidence can be in him that as long as you're on this earth, it's not too late to learn. It's not too late to get up. It's not too late to start believing. It's not too late to start resting in confidence in who he is. It's not too late to turn from those things that keep entangling you. It's not too late to stop manipulating Today's a great day to go, oh, I believe you, and to start resting in that reality and obeying the things he tells you to do. The second thing I want you to catch is this. Did you catch that first one? The first one's the most important one. The second one is pretty important, but it rests on that first one. He loves you. The second one is this, hold on to the promise and the blessings that God has spoken to you. All of you will notice that you have recurring things that God keeps showing you again and again and again. 
that he will complete that good work. And many of you have specific prophetic words over your life. They haven't changed. They haven't gone away. The circumstances haven't made it to where that won't happen. Life is just testing that word until that word comes to pass. The blessings and the promise of God will be accomplished in your life. Trust him to bring them about and keep going towards them. Remind yourself of the blessing and the promise because you need it in the circumstance. It's like Hagar repellent. It's give my wife away to Abimelech repellent. Okay? And you know who your Abimelech is and you know who your Hagar is. A little different for all of us. But if you meditate on the promise and the blessing and go back and say, God, remind me again what you have to say. Because my circumstance is different than your promise. And he will. And you speak it over yourself. You remind yourself, you know what? My name is not Abram. My name is Abraham. I may look barren, but God says I'm a daddy. My name may have been Sarah, but God says my name is Sarah. I may have been barren in this area, but God says I'm a mother. Are you with me? All right, let's stand together and we'll pray and I'll release you. Oh. Can we just put our hands on our heart? I want to talk to our heart for a minute. I'm just going to pray. And if you agree with this prayer, then just say amen. And uh, your heart's on the left side, so right hand on the left side, just for those of you. Make a switch there. You're like, yes, Lord, bless that lung. Transform it. <laughs> Father, we come before you right now because we've just meditated on your scriptures about how you've dealt with Abram, how you've brought him and turned him into Abraham, how you've kept your promises. And through him, we're blessed, having been brought into this kingdom through Jesus, who was a son of Abraham and Sarah. So, Lord, in the same way that you dealt with Abraham and Sarah, and you were so faithful, and you kept your covenant and your promise, you've brought us into that same covenant and promise. And, Lord, we'll just admit that is very hard for our hearts and minds to understand. That is hard for us to accept a completed work by you and to live from that place, Lord, that we would obey, not so that you would love us, but because you've loved us. Lord, that we're responding and not, not trying to initiate. It's, it's hard for us to understand. So our prayer today is this. Open the eyes of our hearts to understand your ways and your love and the truth about you. Help us to see and understand and live from this revelation you've shown us in your scriptures. Thank you for Jesus. And if you agree with that prayer, just say amen. amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, we do have a supper club that's happening. Um, so if you're interested in coming to supper club and you're new and you didn't, uh, you didn't know about it, Karen and I are doing supper club where we have a different theme each Wednesday. And um, you can come talk to me back here, but uh, we just all hang out. We have a small little prayer time, and we just get to know each other. So if you're here and you wanted to get to know a few people, please come to Supper Club Wednesday at 6.30. There is child care here at the church. Be blessed. I'd love to shake your hand. I'll be at the back of the room.